Hello and welcome to Net Zero for Nothing, the podcast from the National Home Improvement Council, connecting industry, government and householders on the pathway towards zero carbon homes. I'm your host, Anna Scothan, Chief Executive of the NHIC, and in this episode of Net Zero for Nothing, we're meeting Kieran Harkin from QAS Limited. QAS are a member of the NHIC, and in this member series of Net Zero for Nothing, we'll get to know better the thought leaders and inspirational people from across the home improvement sector. The council represents the whole repair, maintenance and home improvement sector, from product manufacture, design, specification, install, certification and consumer protection. Members contribute billions to the UK economy and invest over a million hours of CPD training each year. NHIC members are improving the nation's homes together. So let's get into today's episode of the podcast by welcoming Kieran. Hello, Kieran. Hi, Anna. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're recording this episode just as we start to jump into the festive holiday season. Are you ready? Indeed, is your elf on the shelf? <laughs> The elf is on the shelf with lots of bottles and nappies as we've got a newborn in the house in the last three weeks. So uh, we're gearing up for a much busier Christmas this year. Oh, wow. Congratulations. You made your own elf this year. (laughs) My own elf. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, So you've been with QAS for coming up to three years. Uh, Before then, what were you up to? Oh, it's a real mixture. So the majority of my career was actually spent in the aviation where I worked for a company called John Menzies PLC and I ran the operations for uh, sort of Birmingham Airport and Manchester Airport, everything to do with ground handling. Uh, and then from there, I moved into telecommunications with OpenReach. Um, so I was the, you know, you'll either love me or hate me for this, but I was responsible for rolling out uh, ultra-fast fibre uh, in the southwest of the UK and then after that, it's been software development in the automotive markets and then uh, joining UAS and getting into the world of home improvement and construction. So it's definitely been a, a varied career up until now. Yeah, for sure. And and it's always fascinates me, that, fascinates me the varied ways people do end up working in the home improvement industry. And QAS, you you come at it from a, a, a different angle, don't you? Your, your, your organisation, along with, with your competitors and comadres, is, is a vital part of the industry, but possibly one that people might not think about. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously, we've got the difficulty of our name, but once you get past QAS, uh, our organisation's been around for quite some time under different guises. We've been in the sector since 2006, and our role has really been picking things up when they've gone wrong. So that's through complaints or through disputes or through claims. Um, and they could be insurance claims or claims on finance, et cetera. We sort of work behind the scenes, helping companies sort of, I suppose, get to a resolution for all of those problems, but then also collect all of the data and share the data to help businesses understand why it went wrong in the first place. So, um, yeah, we sort of, we, we work across all, like I suppose the council, we cover pretty much every market vertical within the home improvement sector. Um, and we're working with, you know, from sort of SMEs to sole traders right up to PLCs. So, uh, but yeah, we, we, it's been busy of late, that's for sure. Indeed. So do you tend to um, work directly with householders or are you pretty much focused on the contractor side of things? 
we work with both because obviously when dealing with complaints or disputes or claims, actually two parties are involved. So, you know, half of our discussions, I suppose, in all of those scenarios is actually with the homeowner. Uh, and on occasion, we'll actually just have homeowners coming us directly, uh, directly as I, I suppose words getting out that this is what we do for a living. And we're starting to get more homeowners coming to us directly for advice if they should have a problem with a contractor. Yeah, because it's unfortunately, you know, at times things do go wrong. Um, and I know a, a stat that that you um, often talk about when when presenting and, and speaking is that the home improvement sector is is second only to used car sales in terms of the level of complaints, which is a really bad place for us to be in. Um, and why do you think that is? Why why do things go wrong? Uh, well, I, th I think first of all, it's a very complicated industry, isn't it? You know, when you think it of like gen is. general home home improvement projects, there's a lot of things that can actually go wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, when we look at the different issues that come through, it can be all sorts of things. You know, there are things that are down to, you know, uh, training, education, you know, from contractors, you know, uh, you know, you know, as we try and bring people into the industry, you know, people have to learn and things go wrong um, to sort of operational issues. You know, does somebody turn up for the, that classic, you know, you hire the plumber to come and does the plumber turn up? You know, um, actually, that's not always down to say that plumber being a bad person that some people might assume. It might just be that they're pretty busy and they don't have the right work practices in place to be able to manage that demand. So you've got all that sort of stuff going on that I think you get in a lot of industries. But we have to remember that in the UK, we own a lot of our own homes and we treat them as a proper asset. So compared to most other countries, we pump a lot of money into it. Um, and that in turn creates a lot of problems in terms of the amount of business that's out there. So the, there's more home improvement projects going on here in the UK. You know, if you did it per person, you know, we would sit quite high in, I suppose, the global market. So you're naturally going to get more issues. But also with the amount of money coming into the industry, unfortunately, we will always see that. And this is like any country, you see that level of opportunism as well, where mm. people will come into the market probably for the wrong reasons too, which can add to that level of detriment so i guess it's it's complicated work and it's in an island where we spend an awful lot of money on it so there's an awful lot of demand for it and i suppose that increases the figures as well when you look at it that way and i think as well there's um even though we invest a lot of money in our homes we don't necessarily understand um what actually our homes need um and that can as you say there can be some people that uh, see the uh, opportunity of ripping people off in the sector and not doing a good job and asking for deposits and never turning up and and they really put the rest of the sector and the professionals in the sector um you know give us all a bad name um and and i think as well householders we kind of almost are a bit unsure about how we should go about home improvements, especially now because demand is so high for professionals. Everybody is wanting work done. Everybody is wanting to get a home office done. Um, they're wanting extensions, wanting converting the garage to something, extra bedrooms. So there's lots of stuff happening. And, and even trying to get somebody to do the work can be really challenging and then asking for lots of additional things on top of that like alternative dispute resolution or guarantees 
sometimes that you might feel as a householder you don't want to put off a builder? I think that's probably right. You know, I suppose, yeah, everybody's looking for the path of least resistance here. You just want a builder to come and do the work and the builder just wants to come and do the work. Um, But unfortunately, I think just because of the complexity of this kind of service um, or these kind of products, you do have to have a little bit more diligence to the whole process. And I mean, it doesn't have to be difficult. I mean, there's lots of sources out there where consumers can actually go to to get the key things that they should be looking out for, you know, even you know, with the National Home Improvement Council, if we think about some of the members on there, you know, you've got competent person schemes that have websites that are, you know, catered towards consumers to be able to see this is exactly what you want to be asking those traders. And actually, a good trader will be expecting those questions. So don't worry. Uh, only worry if the trader can't actually answer those questions. You, you make you make an absolutely great point. I remember once at the at the Great Yorkshire show watching arborists go up the the big poles you know they do when they're showing off and yeah. the guy on the microphone was saying if if your tree surgeon that's coming to chop down a bit of a tree in your garden if they are not excited to be telling you about the training that they put their staff through and the amount of money that they spend on getting the right equipment they're not a proper tree surgeon so please don't worry about asking questions and i think you're absolutely right a, a professional competent uh, installer or builder will want to talk to you and will be expecting those questions. Yeah, they'll want to show it off as well because not only do they want to tell you how good they are, but also I suppose in what is quite coming back to the, just the size of the market, competition's quite fierce out there. So it is the ability to answer all of those questions that will ultimately differentiate them from their competition. So, um, you know, it is worth, you know, scrutinizing these traders, et cetera, but don't, don't be fearful of it. I mean, they will be looking to tell you those answers because they know that there is a better chance of them winning the business as well because they can actually show that they're a much more credible outfit. Absolutely. And um, you've been working with government recently and um, working on behalf of the home improvement sector um, on a recent consultation that government went out to industry on. So when government's looking to change the law on something or improve a certain situation that it thinks it needs to, um, it will go out to consultation on industry. And, and you've um, been working really hard on, on that. And it's around the um, alternative dispute resolution landscape. Can you tell us a bit about that consultation and, and your role? Yeah, so, um, so this sort of all falls under consumer protection law and the consultation that closed in October there was exploring the idea of um, making two particular markets feel more like regulated market, regulated markets when it comes to consumer protection. So those two markets are used cars and um, home improvement oh that I always quote. Um, <laughs> and uh, not, not, it's not good that I've been in both of those sectors technically, maybe it's me. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so the government obviously wants to explore how can you reduce the levels of detriment uh, in those two sectors, which is absolutely right. You know, that's something we should be looking at and encouraging. Um, the consultation itself then was exploring the idea of making alternative dispute resolution compulsory. Now, the reason for that being is in the UK, um, since 1987, uh, when ADR came in, we, we've more preferred to go down the route of litigation. We enjoy a good claim or to sue somebody in the UK, but actually that doesn't always end up in the interests of both parties. It can be very time consuming and can be very costly. 
So ADR was brought in a long time ago, but it's never really got there, you know, in terms of the exposure that it needs. So this consultation is designed to effectively potentially make ADR mandatory within the home improvement sector. And what does that mean? That means that contractors will have to engage in a dispute resolution process if they're unable to handle or to sorry, not handle to resolve a complaint uh, from a consumer successfully. So that's the big headline item, making it mandatory. What does until... that mean for a consumer? So that means for a consumer, effectively, if they raise a complaint, um, norm normally what we'd advise consumers is if you have a complaint, raise it with your contractor, normally allow 14 days for a response. But after a certain period of time, which at this moment of time is eight weeks, if that contractor has not successfully resolved your complaint to your satisfaction, you are able to get access to a dispute resolution facility uh, where you can go to an independent third party and they'll look at your evidence, they'll look at the evidence from the business, and then they'll make an independent decision on what's the right outcome for this uh, Okay, yeah. So, so that's the current situation. That's the current situation. And that's, you know, the term ombudsman will be well known to consumers, yeah. um, you know, and that's something that exists now. So now at, in the current scenario is after those eight weeks, that trader does at, at this moment in time does not have to engage in that dispute resolution process. They might say, no, thank you. I'll see you in court or whatever. Uh, under this new law, they would have to engage in it. And another part of this law uh, under consultation is actually reducing that time for the consumer to get access to dispute resolution from eight weeks to four weeks. So ultimately speeding up the process for them to ultimately get to an end resolution. So it all sounds really good for the consumer. Yeah. Um, is it good for the contractor? Um, it's going to force contractors to focus on probably parts of the business that they've never really focused on as much. You know, if you think about contract, I mean, it's complicated, isn't it? They've got to bring new business in. They've got to focus on the quality of their installations, you know, the administration and all that good stuff. Um, the back end isn't, isn't normally the place where you invest all your money. You know, it's I always think about aviation. It's a bit like lost luggage. It doesn't actually make you any revenue, does it? But you've got to still put something in place for consumers when they lose their banks. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things. It costs money. So it is it good for businesses? Um, it's going to force businesses to improve the back end. You know, if things go wrong, they're going to have to get better at resolving complaints well. That in turn, you know, because of the pain, I guess, that comes with that, it means they're really going to have to focus on why are we getting complaints in the first place? And then really course, yeah. look at improving their own sort of operations and installation processes, et cetera. So an optimistic contractor will say, this is good news because it's going to force me to do all of these things and that will make my business better. Those contractors who see this maybe as a bit more of a pain or a punishment will look at this and go, this is definitely not good news. I'm under pressure already because of all the challenges within yeah. the market and this is going to add to it. And it, it is a real challenge, especially if you're a sole trader or a micro SME with just a few um, you know, members of staff or even that you have subcontractors. Um, you know, it is another thing that you have to get done. So, Kieran, why has ADR not been used more in the mainstream up until now? Uh, so I guess you could probably break it into three things. Um, one was awareness, you know. If I was to ask a lot of people, you know, what is ADR? They probably won't know what that actually means. Uh, and actually, there was a big survey done, done in 2018 
by government. And actually, I think only 16% of respondents even knew what dispute resolution was. So that's the first issue. So actually making it mandatory will force that now. You know, the awareness will go up. Yeah. It'll get it'll gain some media attention. You know, people will become more aware of it. So that's good. Uh, so that's been a big issue. Um, those that have then used it have actually often experienced problems. Um, the speed is supposed to be one of the key differentiators versus litigation. You go to court and take a long time. But actually, depending on the industry and depending on who's providing the ADR, you can see cases lasting or going over three years. So then that doesn't actually make it a faster alternative to litigation. So um, ADR hasn't probably focused enough on speed. Uh, and we're in a world now, aren't we? You know, we complain on social media. You know, we demand uh, attention very, very quickly these yeah, days. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So that landscape's got to speed up. And then I think the last bit why it hasn't been and why contractors won't engage in it as much is costs. Um, it's not that it's necessarily expensive. It's just the fact that all the costs normally seem to sit with the business. And that doesn't always go down well when a business thinks that they're not in the wrong. Okay, and how does this sort of new approach, or, or what have you been doing as what have QA S been doing as part of the consultation around bringing that parity um, to allow the costs to be shared? And I guess as well, if it if it's done, if the solution is arrived at via an ADR route without having to go to expensive litigation and through courts, and we know that they're overstretched anyway to bring the whole time down, surely things shouldn't be as expensive. You would like to think so. I mean, technically, from, from my point of view, I, I'm sort of trying to represent the home improvement market here from both sides, you know, representing the consumer to say this is a good thing. But at the same time, saying to my own dispute resolution uh, sector, if you like, we have got to improve. This is too costly at the moment. It's too slow at the moment. And actually, if this legislation is going to come in, we've all got to up our game. So we've definitely been looking at within QHSS and trying to work with government to think about new ways of doing this. The one thing we do press government is this thing's got to speed up. We, you know, there's got to be more investment in ADR because all of a sudden, if there's way more complaints becoming disputes in the future, our current timelines are too slow. You know, before it became mandatory, you know, so it's only going to get slower. So we've got to do something about that. But on the cost thing, that's the thing that sort of. I'm sort of very passionate about because this is supposed to be an independent service with equal parity between both parties. Now, the legislation currently very much leans towards a consumer and in the interests of a consumer, which is fair enough, okay. But at the same time, the business is an equal party in this. So when we look at costs, we need to find ways whereby the cost can be shared equally across the business and the consumer, which I think we've been able to do. We've been able to show that that is actually possible. Um, and I think as well as that there, it's sort of treating the business is exactly the same. I mean, our scheme is different from any other, whereby our clients, who, uh, if you like, are like a scheme member, if you like, but our clients are allowed to raise a dispute against the consumer because actually okay, consumer, yeah, yeah, yeah. consumers will go out of their way, unfortunately, and will do all sorts of things to hold on to cash, et cetera. You know, that is unfortunately a real everyday occurrence. So we allow businesses to actually raise that dispute and then we'll contact the consumer as the independent party to say that a case has been opened with them. Yeah, I know a lot of good um, 
tradespeople who are employed by larger contractors say they would never go self-employed and, and create their own sort of vibrant business because they don't want to deal with consumers because getting money out of people is it can be really, really challenging. So it's not always rogue traders that are the issue in this. Definitely not. And, you know, there's stats out there. We've got our own stats on this that really, really highlight that case, you know, where I guess we introduced new technology to allow us to see problems raised by consumers. And, you know, I think when we first introduced the technology and you're asking consumer to show us the problem, it was amazing the number of times the broadband went off or somebody was knocking at the door so they didn't have to show us the problem, which effectively suggests that it's a fraudulent claim or dispute, you know. So it's definitely not all one-sided here. You know, it's definitely not all consumer is always right and trader is always wrong. And that's yeah. the point of this. It's parity between both parties. It's almost that sort of saying about, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty. And that applies to both both sides. You know, of that's course. the idea of it. Of course. And so what's it going to cost? So... Um, if the new legislation or the consultation comes in um, and it's looking at sort of quarter one next year, so it's not long. So your sector, your world, uh, the world of ADR has, has got to sort itself out quite quickly. But what's it going to cost um, your average micro SME that, you know, the, the NHIC, we're the voice of home improvement, speaking on behalf of the 1.2 million micro SMEs and sole traders. What's the what's the, the financial impact on them going to be? It's not an easy one to answer that. So, but if I give you some examples out there, so in the current format, which is very much a, the markets evolved a bit. It used to be time-related charging, which is very similar to litigation, isn't it? You know, somebody handles something, they charge you per hour, per day, or whatever. Um, it has moved more into sort of a per-case fee. Um, but normally what will happen is uh, an SME will join a ombudsman scheme or they'll be part of a, a federation, a federation or a trade association, and they might have these sort of services built in. Ultimately, normally, they'll have to pay an annual membership fee just to get access to the service. And that there will depend on the size of the organization, the number of employees, the amount of business they do. So that could range from anything from £200 to a few thousand pounds, depending on the size of them. So there's the first bit. So you've got the membership fees. And then on top of that, you'll have the per case fee which again could probably range from about £250 to say £600 if it was with the Financial Ombudsman Service, for example, that's about £600. So there's that. Then there's actually the additional fees. This is where it starts to get expensive, where you've got potentially the cost of an independent inspection required. Or if it's quite a, it's a, quite a high profile thing that's gone wrong and there's maybe some structural damage to a home, you'll want to bring in a structural engineer or an expert witness Again, you're probably talking anywhere between 750 to 1500 pounds for one of those reports. Then the cost of obviously putting things right. So you can see, actually, for a small business, this is quite a daunting yeah, um, sure. sort of idea. You know, oh, something goes wrong. Look at all of this. You know, the cost could spiral out of control. Um, having said that, you know, they'll talk about the average cost of going to court. You know, by the time something comes to an end, it's about 10K. So either way, you know, it's not, it's not exactly exciting for a contractor. This is where I think, personally, and this is what I was talking to government about, we need to think differently about all of this stuff. Now, we thought at QHSS, we had nailed it last year, where we introduced subscription pricing for contractors, yeah. make it easier to bud, uh, budget for, more manageable, and all of those like, ancillary costs, we sort of calculated all those costs and we built it into the subscription. 
the mm-hmm. idea of that was it was easier to budget for no surprises later down the line but it was only when COVID kicked in you know contractors were really feeling the pinch then I was really getting questions you know um cost still sits with the business though you know okay it's a subscription but great we're still having to pay for it so then we started to examine this idea of turning it into not an insurance product but what we would call a pre-event product so for example and you as a homeowner probably wouldn't mind this you know if you've spent twenty thousand pounds on a lovely kitchen Mm -hmm. and if i was to say to you that contractor is going to add in a charge of say eight pounds and they're going to absorb four pounds of that and they're going to pass on four pounds to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually it's, you know, 20,000 pounds plus four pounds, if you like. But what that four pounds or eight pounds in total gets is for the consumer and the business, should anything go wrong, both parties have equal access to an independent dispute resolution service mm-hmm. and all fees are included. That brings, in my view, parity, finally, mm-hmm. to between business and consumer. You're sharing the cost. But it's up front. And because it's built into every sale for a business, that's ultimately what covers the costs for all of those things later down the line. But so we as, would a, like... as a householder, I would think that, you know, I'd love it if my builder said this to me or my my contractor, because it shows that you've got a stake in it, that it that you if something does go wrong, there's a route it's been thought of. Obviously, nobody wants anything to go wrong. No. But but again, it, it's it's flipping the discussion from one of a lack of knowledge and a lack of awareness of the process to one of understanding, of proper planning, of proper budgeting, of proper product purchasing, uh, using competent persons, using compliant products and getting it all done properly and having a proper system in place that protects both sides if anything goes wrong. Yeah, big time. If you, I, I think the great comparison for this is, you know, I moved into my house and I got caught up in the whole Dyson Hoover wave. You know, I, went, I had to have a Dyson and all the rest. And then you buy a Dyson, don't you? And they're quite expensive, you know, the £200 or whatever it is. And of course, and I, the guy who signs up for the insurance at £5.50 a month. And actually what I'm talking about there is something costing you against your £20,000 kitchen being less than my £5.50 a month yeah. for the Dyson. You know, so um, I think this is something that um, business and consumers should look for, you know, um, that's out there. You know, people fronting this up and going, look, I'm an ethical trader. We might not always get it right. So actually, we've put in, we're growing up and professional enough that we've put in a facility in place for both of us, should that happen. Uh, And just front up about it and be be honest about it. You know, insurance is something similar. You know, we've had some contractors where they might say, I don't really want to talk about having to have a dispute facility in place. So that makes me sound bad. But then that's what insurance policies are for. It's in case things go a little bit wrong because they naturally will do at some point. And this is something similar to it. And also, especially in home improvement, where every home is different, every single job. I mean, it's what makes it a fabulous industry to work in, because every single job is different. No two conservatories will be the same. No two window installs will be the same. Things are going to go wrong. And within the grand scheme of things, that's okay. It's about having the protection and the insurances in place so that you're all protected in the you know unfortunate incidents of where something does not quite happen correctly yeah and i think if you speak to any consumer chat well you know yourself 
you don't mind things going wrong as long as it gets resolved properly. Yeah. You know, you get spoken to properly. It's within a decent time. That's the big thing. You know, if it's resolved quickly and well, actually, as some businesses will find out, you know, if you do that really well, you actually come out of it even better. You know, because actually some consumers go, do you know what? They had a problem, but my goodness, you want to see how quickly they resolved it. Actually, they're a fabulous company. Yeah. You know, so and you that can really build t- loyalty. It can absolutely build loyalty. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I recently had some doors done and it was a massive lead time. And the guy was, he was chatting to me all the time. And he's like, I'm so sorry. It's product. And he was just open. It's product. He didn't try and, you know, fob me off or not take my calls or anything like that. He was like, oh, it's product availability. It's this, this is where we are. I've got no updates for you this week, but just to let you know, just fantastic customer service. And, you know, I couldn't shout about how fantastic they were enough all over social media. And, and that's the way that you get more business, isn't it? Word of mouth. Absolutely. So as we draw our chat today to a close, something that I like to ask all my guests, um, the podcast is called Net Zero for Nothing. Okay. So what can listeners do for nothing or let's say less than £100 that will have a huge impact <laughs> on beginning to prepare their homes for the future. I bet you're going to say, make sure that anything you get done, you have an ADR <laughs> policy in place. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Just in case <laughs> anything should go wrong, um, you should have an ADR policy in place. That would be really good. Um, God, there's so much we could do. I mean, And ideally diff- one with Dispute Assist with your company. And obviously one with Dispute <laughs> Assist, yes. You can look out for the badge for that. Um, yeah, I, I think other than that, I mean, there's so much now. I mean... I'm in a generation now where I've got a t- 10-year-old stepdaughter now who's a pescatarian because off the planet, you know, doesn't want anything in the house that's plastic and everything else. So this has led to us now we've bought, instead of the good old cleaning products we normally buy, we now buy bottles where you drop a capsule in and mm-hmm. fill with water and it becomes yeah, the same thing. Products, yep. So really, really, really good. Another thing that I've just realized actually is for consumers out there, actually, um, there's a lot of government schemes going on that will really allow you to start the plan for the future. So the one that people forget about at the moment is there's a scheme called Eco3. Um, and when it comes to solar, actually, if there's a listener out there and actually you're on any sort of form of uh, tax credit and you currently have a, any sort of electric heating, so whether that's an electric boiler, an air source heat pump or um, electric store, uh, heating stores, Right now, you genuinely do, uh, you're able to get a free solar system on your property. Um, so why not take advantage of it? So there's funding still available there for that. There is genuinely no cost to you at all to that. Um, and actually, that funding's in place up until the end of March. And then there are new schemes that will follow through from April of next year called Eco4. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just waiting for the final uh, nitty gritty on that. So that's definitely something for some consumers, you know, depending mm-hmm. on the demographic, um, to definitely avail of um, and telling out to anybody I know who sort of sort of fits that bill, because mm-hmm. why not take advantage of it? Definitely. And I'll make sure that I put in the show notes the links to Eco3 and where information about Eco4 will be. As you say, we've got a bit of the yeah. nitty gritty. Um, and this this world is um, your world is is going to get more complicated because. Um, as we move towards low carbon solutions for homes, um, it's a massive change for contractors. It's installing low carbon heating and hot water systems are very different to yeah. traditional solutions that everybody's used to, everybody's trained in. So there are going to be more mistakes, more genuine mistakes. And so 
it's about making sure as a consumer and as a contractor that you're protected in that going forward so that while things are sorting themselves out with the whole sort of low carbon heat um, situation that people are protected for when mistakes do happen. I think that's exactly right. And there's there's organisations out there right now that are focused on that, you know, and th- there are just some questions you need to be asking, you know, when you're talking to these people um, to get that sort of renewable energy solution, the questions you're asking is, right, okay, what makes them qualified to be able to do their jobs? So search the websites, you know, and see what have they got on there that makes them qualified to do it. Have a look at what if it does go wrong? Because as you quite rightly said, this is a complicated sector. This is quite new, a lot of this stuff. You know, even, you know, things like UK standards for products and installations, you know, it's all just sort of fresh, freshly being printed, you know, so the things are undoubtedly going to go wrong. So just, just because it's being done on your house, which might be old, doesn't mean that the solution is old, or as you say, the regulation is old. Everything is, is box fresh on this, isn't it? Big time. Big yeah. time. And and again, so you, you'll want to look out for, okay, allowing for that, then what is in place? Should things go wrong? So you are going to be looking for what in, sort of workmanship warranties are in place, what insurance is in place. <laughs> Here's the plug. Uh, do they have a dispute assist, for example, you know, just in case you do need a third party to manage it later down the line. Uh, yeah, you definitely want to be di- diligent with this stuff. And it's expensive stuff, isn't it? You know. Some of this stuff is going to cost you quite a lot of money. Um, it is. So and it's, it's a big upheaval. It's a big upheaval as yeah. well. You know, you're going to want to make sure you get it right so that you haven't got to do it again in five years' time. So thank you so much, Kieran. And it's especially important at this time of year when, you know, everybody has massive bills, um, energy bills are high, the cost of Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. Um, families do have such high expenses. Um, so it's it's really helpful that you've given us some hints and tips there and also some some good things to look out for with regard to Eco3 and Eco4 with funding that's available. So thank you for joining us on this episode of Net Zero for Nothing, which is part of the member series from the National Home Improvement Council, the voice of home improvement. And thank you also to our listeners for choosing to listen to us today. Be sure to follow us across social media, searching for at the NHIC and subscribe to this podcast, Net Zero for Nothing, either on Apple Podcasts or Podbean for future episodes. And don't forget to check out the show notes for the links to all the references that Kieran has mentioned today, as well as other key hints and tips for achieving Net Zero for Nothing in your home.